Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 22. Uh, If you want, you can put a finger there and turn over to Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. That's where we're going to jump off today. I've got my big bug killer Bible here, Uh, the big one that, uh, you know, there's there's some books you can use, you know, for a table when the table's out of balance or that kind of thing. This this one won't work for that purpose. It's a little too big, uh, but it'll get, it'll crush a bug. It also uh, contains all of God's word for us, which is profitable for us. Uh, we, we should hear it. It's our authority together as a church. Where do we turn as we consider our moment? Uh, we're taking a break from uh, just going through Matthew passage by passage to consider the moment that we're in. Because Faith Church, as your pastor, I know that you are being told that you cannot sit in the same church with people who disagree with you about a mask mandate. You're laughing. (laughs) But you are sitting in in, uh, a sanctuary with people, many of whom do not agree with you, many of whom do. And perhaps there are some watching. Perhaps there are some uh, who won't be with us for a while because of this very reason. Where do we turn as we consider the county's mask mandate and our relationship to the government? As as a church, we've committed ourselves to turning to Christ in the scriptures. That's where we turn. And what do we find there? We find that he calls us to serve and honor all, but to bow to Christ alone. I, I think of when I was in college, I was in a campus ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. They shortened it to crew. So when I went to crew... I remember hearing Matt, and Matt was up front preaching, and he was talking about grace. The entire first semester of my freshman year was about grace, the gospel of grace. And this was something that I wasn't accustomed to hearing. I had come to Jesus. I had begun to follow Jesus when I was 17, and I I heard the gospel, but I hadn't heard about all this grace. And it didn't sound right to me that you're saved by grace alone by what Jesus has done as a free gift to you. There's nothing that we can do. There's not an inch we can step toward God. It is all grace. It is all God coming to you and enabling you to trust and believe, to obey and to follow him. That that doctrine, maybe it sounds strange to you even today. Maybe I should be stopping to talk more about grace, but nevertheless, it sounded strange to me. And I didn't think he was right. I thought he was soft. I thought he was pandering to college students who want to do whatever they want. So he's just going to tell them that God's grace saves them. What a nice message is what I was thinking to myself. Not realizing that I was bringing my own conceptions, my own intuitions, the air that I breathe. I'm an American. I pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? If I want to follow God, I will. By golly right? That sort of independent spirit, that individualist. And then what happened was these people gave me time and space to learn and grow. And they opened the scriptures with me. And I remember one morning reading Ephesians 2, and grace was just there, and boom, I got it. I began to get it, I should say. And what a weight dropped off my shoulders. Well, today, the reason why I'm thinking of this story is because I was wrong. I was wrong 
And I thought that Matt and all these crazy crude people talking about grace were wrong. But there was one of us who was informed by intuition, by whatever we just happened to think was right, by our cultural upbringing. And there was one of us that was talking from the scriptures, who was rooted in a divine authority. I was the one that was wrong. (laughs) Today, as we ask a different question, we're not asking a question about works and salvation today primarily. We're asking a question about how we relate as Christians to our government. Do we just follow our intuitions? Do we just follow what's in the air? Do we just parrot whatever the talking heads say as Christians? No. We turn to God and his word. And he has spoken. If he was kind enough to have inspired a passage on mask mandates and how to respond to a viral pandemic, I would preach from that passage. But seeing that there is no such passage, I'm going to turn to what he has said about how we should relate to our governing authorities. And he has said plenty, and it sings in unison. We serve and honor all, but we bow to Christ alone. And so, um, a pastor is aware of his need for grace in a moment like this, so I, I'm going to turn with you in prayer. And uh, let's look to, look to God together. Father, today, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we look to Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, and pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We bow to Christ alone. We bow to Christ alone. I asked you to turn with me to Matthew 28 as we begin today. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountains, uh, the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So they're there with Jesus. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But what did the others do? But some doubted. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus has risen. Jesus, as he said he would, died. He was taunted, he was mocked, he was beaten and reviled, but then he rose in victory on the third day. And there he is, standing before them, the king of kings, the one who died for their sins and for the sins of many, for all nations to come to know him. And some hesitate, they doubt. The word for doubt can also mean to hesitate. It's like they paused. They're not sure what to do now. Should we really worship him? I don't know. One thing that I've wondered is given the authority that Jesus is claiming, an authority that he's claiming in the midst of the Roman Empire, mind you, why was Jesus crucified? It was because he claimed to be the king. They've seen him die. And you wonder if they hesitate. What's going to happen if we worship Jesus now? We could live a relatively comfortable life, be good Roman citizens, keep quiet, right? Following Jesus may mean more than we bargained for. So they may have hesitated. And I'm so encouraged that God would use men like this, hesitant, doubting people (laughs) for his kingdom purpose. And that's where the church began Holy Spirit used them. And so we're here today because of doubters that the Lord used. Grace is amazing. But the point I'm trying to say here 
is that following Jesus was costly in the Roman Empire, and they counted the cost because what was Jesus just about to say in verse 17? All, pardon me, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Whoa. If they were nervous before, I wonder if they were even more nervous now. All authority, all authority. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not say, mine. That's what Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, said and said, well, capturing well what Jesus is saying here. All authority. This excludes nothing. It certainly includes the way that we relate to our governing authorities, even in a moment of viral pandemic in 2021. Jesus claims all authority in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And hear this, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I'm turning to the core of our identity and understanding as a, a church that loves the mission of God. To realize that at the core of the mission of God, we who are called to make disciples first have to become disciples who learn to obey all that the Lord has commanded so that we might faithfully teach what he's commanded us to do in our words and in our ways. The Lord promises he'll be with us always as we pursue him in this way to the end of the age. But what did he say that we should do in relation to our government? This is why I asked you to turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, things are heating up with Jesus. He's taking question after question from the Sadducees and Pharisees. And here we find him entering into a very hot button topic in his day. How should we relate to our government as Jewish people who are living under an oppressive Roman government? That's the question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar? This was a live question in the day. And what they're doing, realize what they're doing. They're not just asking a question to get information, right? They're trying to trap him. They want to force him to take a side so they can alienate him, right? People do this in our culture today. What do you think about masks? Are they asking for information? I don't know. It depends on who's asking, right? But Jesus, what does he do? The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. They sent their disciples, along with the Herodians. They say, teacher, we know that you're true. They butter him up. You're true. You teach the way of God truthfully. You don't care about anyone's opinion. You're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And you could imagine them looking around to see what other people's reactions would be as Jesus tells them one thing or another and sides with one side or another. And what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't take sides on party lines. He speaks authoritatively as the son of God and says this, show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. 
Jesus is saying that we should honor Caesar, that we should pay our taxes. But there are things that are God's and God's alone. Worship belongs to God and God alone. He doesn't side with the Herodians who would feel comfortable burning incense to the image of Caesar. And he won't side with the Pharisees and with the Zealots who will say, you should take up arms. You should resist at all costs, whatever Caesar says. Don't pay him a dime of tax. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, to God's that which is God's. That's what Jesus says. But is this all that the New Testament says? The New Testament actually says more. And those who followed Jesus, who were inspired by the Spirit of God, even the Spirit of Christ himself, who spoke on his behalf as apostles, spoke about how we relate to our government. Paul was one of them. Romans 13, he's writing to the heart of the Roman Empire, mind you. And what does he say in Romans 13? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Think about this with me for a moment. God appointed Nero. God appointed Joe Biden. Are you doing okay? God appointed our county health administrator. That's what the Bible said. And whoever resists them resists the one that God has appointed. Our default, brothers and sisters, is to do what the scriptures say, what Christ himself said. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And Paul even would spell this out further. Verse seven, he'll say, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Peter, Jesus's apostle, he would take that even just slightly further. He says, to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and following, whether to the emperor as supreme, to governors sent by him, to punish those who do, do evil, and to praise those who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Hear these next words, faith, church, Loveland, living in America in the 21st century. Hear this, live as people who are free. They're not people who are free. They don't have a vote. They don't have a representative government but live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Not using our freedom to harm our neighbors. Not using our freedom to hate our enemies for good. Live as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor, honor, honor the emperor, honor Nero. Now, however you experience hearing honor Joe Biden, honor the county health administrator, honor Donald Trump, honor whomever, 
hearing honor Nero would feel a little bit more difficult, I suggest to you, in the first century. Remember that Paul and Peter were both executed eventually by Nero? Nero, <laughs> think of this, in, 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 in America, we are blessed with a, a system of government where there's at least seat belts that keep people serving from being as bad as they could possibly be, right? Separations of powers, checks and balances. But with Nero, he's an unhinged nutcase with absolute authority. He murdered his father, Claudius. He was known to go out at night, carousing, killing, committing crimes against people, stealing. He was a generally gross person. Just read, find some Roman historians, read Suetonius about Nero. He has a, a long chapter. He's a gross guy. He is the one, Nero, who is responsible, if Suetonius is right, for lighting the fire that burned Rome. And then he blames Christians for it and throws them into the Colosseum to be eaten by lions. Honor Nero. Pay taxes to Nero. Use your freedom for good. Live as servants of God. What is our default as Christians relating to the government? The, the scriptures are clear. We seek to serve and honor all, but we bow to Christ alone. One more point from Paul. Paul said as a first priority in 1 Timothy chapter 2 when he was mentoring a young pastor and how to pastor in the midst of a Roman empire, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hear what Paul is saying. You are called not only to honor and pay taxes, but to pray for your leaders. I bet your county health administrator would love to know that Faith Church is praying for him. Even if you disagree, even if you don't like the person, pray. And note, it was first of all. This is a first order priority for churches. It's something that I think that we could probably seek to do as we as elders together seek to lead and pray. And I will, as I close here after a bit, seek to pray for our leaders. But why do we do this? It's good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved. It's so interesting. It's almost like if we're the kind of people who pray for our leaders, even for the ones we disagree with, if we're the kind of people who follow Jesus wherever we are, it's almost like our neighbors will think we have credibility and they'll listen to us and they might be saved when we tell them the gospel. Our relating to our government is part of our witness. part of how our neighbors will experience Jesus. And so, our default, honor, and serve all, but we bow the knee to Christ alone. 
I know many of you will have a lot of pushback. The first one, which I completely agree with, is that I don't like wearing masks. And it's a hindrance when we worship. It's no fun to sing with a mask. I, I'm, I'm helping out with the contemporary praise, praise band in the next service, and when I take a deep breath, the mask goes inside my mouth. You know? It's awful. I think four times I've gotten my mask caught on this, this microphone. You know? It's a pain in the rear. You know? It's, it's a strong incentive to brush your teeth, though, I will say that. <laughs> but you know what? Dear ones, it is small potatoes, small potatoes com compared to the real persecution and suffering faced by our Christian brothers and sisters around the world today. You know, today, there is greater persecution around the world, greater numbers of people who are giving their lives, literally, for the name of Jesus than in any other period in history because the church has spread like wildfire around the world. People ask to give their lives because they won't turn and bow the knee to Caesar. They only bow to Christ, ultimately. They won't worship Caesar. They won't give up their worship of Christ. And so they're being persecuted. Wearing a mask is not worthy of the word suffering, is what I'm trying to say. It's an annoyance, yes. It's inconvenient, yes. But secondly... Some of you would say masks don't work. Masks don't work. I am not a person who actually can evaluate that. I'm not a medical doctor, and I didn't stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, so I claim no authority. But, but, the people who are in authority, who do have medical backgrounds, in this case, are telling us that this is going to help mitigate the spread of a virus that has killed many people. Many people. Some of you have friends, many of us, loved ones. And so they're saying that this can help. And Jesus said, what did he say? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. What did he command us? Love the Lord your God, with all that you are, with all that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if our authorities are right that this could help, this would love our neighbors, right? And so even if you don't think it works, it's kind of like if you said the speed limit doesn't work, right? You know, that doesn't really protect anybody. It just slows me down from getting to work on time, right? Well, I can't evaluate that really. I really can't. But if I break the speed limit, it's pretty likely that I'll put myself at odds with our government, right? And with my wife who will be upset that I'm paying out all of this money for speeding tickets, right? And I'd also be disobeying God. And you know what? If I harm somebody because it was so important for me to get to where I was going faster, and my personal freedom of being able to drive as fast as I want. I wasn't willing to give that up, and I, I harm somebody, I hurt somebody, maybe I kill somebody. I'd be responsible for that. There was a man, I'm gonna go, I was wrestling whether to tell this story. I'll tell the story. There was a man early on in the pandemic 
He's at a church in Rockford. I have a friend who's a pastor up in Rockford, Illinois. The man, uh, he, he doesn't think this is gonna help. He doesn't believe any of this is really a big deal. Anyhow, it was in the time when you remember the, the whatever it was, 14 or 15 days to slow the spread, right? And we laugh about that now, a year and a half later. But anyhow, it was during that time when we were asked to separate as much as possible, to wear masks, wash hands, all these kinds of things. So this young man goes to his mother's house during that time. He doesn't wear a mask. It's just a normal time in the living room with mom. He's not going to listen to what the government says. That's the last time he saw his mom. She was intubated. She, she died from COVID-19. Now, that man will carry that, deal with that, cope with that, justify that. I don't know. But this was a woman in my friend's church, and he's ministering to these people during this time, a pastor seeking to help people look to God in a time of pandemic and division. And what I'm saying is, I don't have authority to tell you whether masks work, but I can tell you that the Bible says to listen to your authorities who are telling you that they do. To honor them and to pray for them. And the last one, the last one, people have a strong feeling that if we would wear masks, that we are doing something, as we've already said, that some of us don't think works, so it's not actually loving our neighbor. We don't think it actually is going to help. And we're actually giving up freedoms. We're giving up freedoms that we'll never get back. Many of us have felt this way. Let's just imagine for a moment that that's actually the intent of the county health administrator in Larimer County, that he is sitting down at night think of, thinking about how to take away your freedoms. I don't think he is. But let's imagine that he is. Around the world, since Christ came, Christians have lived under governments that have taken away their every freedoms. It's been normal. If you follow Jesus, you will experience tribulation. <laughs> Christian. It's not strange to give up freedom. And furthermore, furthermore, Jesus. Think of Jesus. What was he like in relating to the government? The government that gave him an unjust trial, the government that was unjustly executing him. When he was reviled, he didn't raise a militia, did he? No, he rebuked Peter, who took out his sword and said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he himself, who was being mocked and reviled, reviled not in return, but entrusted himself to God who judges justly. He himself bore our iniquities on the tree. Jesus, our Savior, died in his submission to an unjust government. And in that, the world saw what? Weakness? Was Jesus soft? Was he soft? 
stronger than anything we've ever seen in this world, true heavenly strength for you and for me. And so we are not, um, what's the word, virtue signaling as elders when we ask people to wear masks as though we could win millennials and people across the aisle by wearing masks. It's not a strategy. It's us looking to scripture, looking to our Lord Jesus. It's us seeking to honor those in authority over us. It's us seeking to love our neighbors. That's what we're doing. That's our default mode as Christians. Now, you may say, but when, pastor, when do we dig in our heels? When do we say no? When is enough enough? Scripture does speak to this. There are moments of distress that take us beyond the default. But the default remains. In distress, we we lean into the second half of this phrase. We serve and honor all, but we bow to Christ alone. We bow to Christ alone. There was a bishop named Polycarp early in the church in Smyrna, modern-day Turkey. We don't think of that as a Christian place today. Early in the history of Christianity, Turkey was, uh, frankly, the center in many ways of Christianity. And there he was serving, but it was in a time of great distress. The Romans were becoming increasingly aware of Christians and increasingly unhappy with the fact that they didn't bow their knees to Caesar. And so they come to Polycarp and the Roman consul tells Polycarp to recant. And he says, worship the genius of Caesar. That's an image. Worship the genius of Caesar. And Polycarp, 86-year-old man, says, how could I betray my Lord who has been faithful to me for 86 years? And then the Roman consul, he was feisty, uh, Polycarp was. The Roman consul says, again, trying to press him, trying to persuade him to recant. Say, away with the atheists, because Christians were considered atheists because they didn't bow to the images, to the, to the carved sculptures. They didn't burn incense at the image of Caesar. So they were considered atheists. We worship a God unseen, save for Jesus in the incarnation. And so Polycarp points at the crowd of polytheistic Romans around him and says, away with the atheists. I will bow to Christ alone. And he was burned. And when his body didn't burn quickly enough, he was stabbed to death. And they took his body away. When do Christians dig in their heels and say no to their governing authorities? There's basically two instances we see in scripture. One, when the governing authorities tell us to worship other than the one true God. Secondly, when our governing authorities tell us to disobey God's law. We see examples in Daniel chapter three. Daniel and his friends are living in the Babylonian empire. They've learned their languages. Uh, They've been seeking the good of their city where they were, and they became very capable administrators and teachers and advisors to the leaders there. Very involved in their city. But then, when Nebuchadnezzar is persuaded 
to make a law that every time that the trumpets would sound, that people would have to bow to a huge image of Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends who worship Jesus, or they, well, we could get into the theology of that. They worship the one true God. Ultimately, they do worship Jesus. They worship Yahweh. They are thrown into a fiery furnace because they did not bow to Nebuchadnezzar. And there in that fiery furnace, do you remember the, the flames were increased because of the anger and the rage at these men who would not bow their knee? And there was a fourth standing there in the fire. So the Lord was with them. Now they had no promise of surviving that. And many since, like Polycarp, have truly endured fire. And that could be us someday. And we'd be blessed. Great will be your reward in heaven. We bow our knee to Christ alone. In Exodus chapter one, Hebrew midwives refused Pharaoh's order to kill male infants. Remember this? And they were, they were deceitful toward their leaders. So it's, it's not actually a good idea to tell the Nazi that comes to your door that you're hiding the Jews. You ever hear that ridiculous situation people come up with to try to convince you that there's, yeah. There is a right time to honor Christ alone. Being honest to the Nazis, being honest to Pharaoh is not as important as preserving the lives of these little ones that the Lord holds dear. You shall not murder, the Lord said. The Lord is the Lord of life, and we are not, so we will not break his commands. Peter and John were brought up by the Sanhedrin, early church in Acts. Women in the Word have been through this passage recently. And they were told to stop preaching the gospel. Think about this. The gospel is spreading. It was supposed to stop when they crucified Jesus, right? Maybe that'll shut them up, but no. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and suddenly they're preaching the gospel in, in other languages. And people from all over the Roman Empire and from the East and from Northern Africa are coming and hearing and believing. And this gospel message is spreading. It's getting out of hand. So they have to silence Peter and John. And when they stand in the presence of these people, these governing authorities, Peter says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Respectfully, we're gonna listen to God on this one. And this costly obedience is something that comes with the reward of heaven so that the cost feels like nothing to Christians as we cling to Jesus. Revelation 2.10, these are churches, remember, that were truly suffering. Suffering not in the sense of, of being uh, culturally ridiculed. Suffering not in the sense of going to Starbucks and not getting Merry Christmas written on your cup. You know, that's not suffering, guys. That's not persecution. These are folks who will die because they proclaim Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus says to this church, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. 
Be faithful unto death, faith church. That's what we do when our government tells us to worship another God, to break his holy law. But in that moment, the rest of Christ and his character and his gospel doesn't just go away. It's not as though in the moment that we have to resist the government, that we begin to hate our enemies, that we begin to learn our postures instead of from Christ, from the talking heads that we listen to probably a little bit too much. Right? It's our witness even unto death that bears witness to the love and the strength, the holiness of God. It's that which would draw our neighbors. So I invite you to come again to Jesus and to his authority. I know that following Jesus in this time will make us like strangers and aliens because we're not gonna take sides on party lines, right? We can't affirm all that this side says or all that this side says because we follow Jesus. And he has something to say to all of us. We don't take our talking points from Fox News or from MSNBC, not from Sean Hannity, not from Rachel Maddow, right? We don't take our talking points there. We take them from Christ. Now, you may not like this teaching. It may not sound like what you've heard before. It may sound even new to you if you haven't been listening to scriptures in this way. But I'm just trying to tell you as a pastor what I'm trying to do is try to point you to God's word. This is what Paul said to Timothy. Remember, remember, Paul's imprisoned. He is awaiting execution under Nero, the emperor he's called Timothy and others to honor. I charge you, for 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And hear this, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Brothers and sisters, it's not talking about liberals and progressives. It's talking about you, Faith Church. We are all tempted to wander off into myths and to find a pastor, a preacher, a God talker who will say what we want to hear, who will craft a Jesus who looks like we want him to look, who responds to the government like we want him to respond. But I'm not going to respond the way you want me to respond. It's like Henry Ford in the Model T, right? You can have any color you want so long as it's black, and I will give you whatever you want so long as it's Christ in the scriptures. You hear that? That is where my feet are planted. And so I don't care what the megachurch pastor says. I don't care what John Hannity says. I don't care what Joe Biden says. Ultimately, I do care because they're dear people made in the image of God. I'm called to love them as neighbors, but I do not care when they call me to violate what Christ has said, to violate his character. Respectfully, no. Christ is our authority. That's where we find our unity. 
That's how we stick together. We may wrestle with that. We may wrestle with the outworkings of that and the new questions that will arise. How do we do this together? But we're gonna run together. Where? To Christ and to his word. Let's pray. Father, hold us, hold us in this time. Steady us when we want to run off, when we want what we want, when we want it, and we're not getting it. When we're feeling proud and smug because we are getting what we want. Meet us there and humble us and remind us of our great need of Christ, our Savior, and all that he did and all that he is for us. We give you thanks for his cross, for his resurrection, and for his authority over us. We praise you. We praise Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.